and welcome to the 34th edition of Rising Tide, the Ocean Podcast. I'm still David Helvarg, and Vicki Nichols Goldstein is still our co-host. And hello there. And today hey, we're talking with our friend, the world-renowned marine life artist, Wyland. Wyland's the definition of multi-talented. He's a painter, sculptor, muralist, writer, photographer. USA Today has called him the Mi Marine Michelangelo. I'd say he's the most significant <coughs> marine artist since Winslow Homer. Uh, between 1981 and 2008, he completed his monumental whaling wall project, painting life-size whale murals on the side of buildings and other structures and cities across our blue planet. Just over a decade later, he's got a new monumental project underway. But Wyland, let's start at the beginning. You're not a beach baby. In fact, you didn't get to see the ocean until you were 14. So where did you grow up and how did you first begin your life as an artist? Well, <clears throat> thanks, David and Vicky. Good to do this with you guys. And kind of continue to spread, uh, you know, what we have learned about uh, ocean conservation. I do it through art. Of course, you do it through your writing and Sylvia Earle and Greg Stone do it through science. So we can all find a way to uh, engage people and try to uh, inspire a generation of uh, people that care about the health of the planet. And, you know, I was, I've been a pure artist since I was four. I grew up in Michigan, as you said far away from the ocean, but surrounded by water, the Great Lakes. And uh, I'm a water sign. So water has been connected to every aspect of my life from the beginning. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, I came out here when I was 14 to Laguna Wait, Beach. My before you came out, wow. sure. you learned some art skills uh, in Detroit, Motor City. Tell us yeah, yeah. Art. You know, art and music, uh, you know, the arts are alive everywhere, you know. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, um, I used to paint dinosaurs and Jurassic scenes, and I would paint murals on the back headboard of my parents' bed so I wouldn't get caught painting on the wall. So I was like one of the early street artists, right? If you don't count those uh, Cro-Magnum, like cavemen guys painting on the sides of caves, you know, maybe they were first. But uh, yeah, so I kind of did that, and nobody knew I was really painting uh, on the walls um, until they until we moved. They broke the bed down and went, oh, Wyland's painting dinosaurs again. but. Yeah, I've been painting since I was four. I've never had to get a real job. I don't want one. Uh, it, it, it doesn't look like as much fun as I have. You know, I mean, I paint pictures. I paint buildings. I make sculptures. It's, uh, it's kind of a hobby that got out of control. Right. You, you told me you started painting vans at an early age. Yeah, I paint, painted uh, custom vans uh, when the big van craze in the 70s. Remember that when Frazetta art was all over vans? And I like Frank Frazetta, so... Anyway, I, I read about this artist named Shrunken Head, uh, Dennis Pooch, and uh, my mom actually dropped me off at his studio in Detroit. And I went in there kind of cocky. I said, you know, I'm an artist. I think I can do this airbrush stuff. And he goes, well, most artists can't. And I said, let me, let me try it. So I watched him for a couple of minutes and uh, he wanted to have another drink and maybe a doobie. So he left and he came back. I had painted the entire van with a Frazetta, you know, sci-fi scene. He goes, you're hired, buddy. He goes, you got this. And you know what's great is I was 16. He showed me how to use spray guns that I later used to paint a lot of my, uh, you know, ocean murals on the sides of buildings. So, you know, everything in the universe happens for a reason. And uh, I always felt, Dave, that I was in a, and Vic, I was in a, an artist that was in the right place at the right moment in history. In the early 70s, I, you know, 1970, I heard about the first Earth Day. Uh, Jacques Cousteau, my hero, the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau, Greenpeace, 
all these things were kind of happening, this environmental movement because of the industrial age and all the crap we're putting in the rivers like the Cuyahoga and Cleveland. So all that really resonated with me, you know, as an artist. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be Jacques Cousteau, but we already had a Jacques Cousteau. So I said, well, maybe I can be an artist that brings the conservation. And uh, that's what I've been focused on, you know, my whole life. And, and so at 14, you got your first exposure to an ocean. Yeah, my uh, mom wanted to do a little road trip there, Darlene. My mom uh, took uh, my three brothers and I on a little road trip cross country. You remember those days. And, uh, you know, anyway, it was fun. And, uh, you know, they were all in West Covina. And, and I told my Aunt Terry, I said, man, I, I really want to see the ocean, you know. And uh, so she took me to Laguna Beach right near where I am right at this moment. And I saw the Pacific Ocean for the first time. And, uh, and it was amazing. And then the gray whales, of course, were migrating near shore at that time. So two gray whales actually, you know, spouted right in front of me. It was like looking at dinosaurs. I mean, it just had such an impression on me. I was 14 years old. I couldn't believe what I was, you know, seeing. So I went back to Michigan with, uh, you know, a whole, you know, dedication to studying these great whales that I had just seen. And I planted a seed in my mind's eye that, man, I would love to live in Laguna Beach, this art colony. And 10 years later, I moved to Laguna Beach. I painted those gray whales, life size, the first one of the 101 whaling walls uh, on the side of the building uh, that I own, by the way, now I own the building with the wall on it. So, hey, it's strange how this stuff works out, but you put it out in the universe and you draw it towards you. Tell us how you got there and, and the beginning of this whaling walls, which really became an international phenomenon. Yeah, well, um, I was painting uh, whales and marine life since I was 14, uh, you know, on canvas. And I, I realized early on, I need bigger canvases if I really wanted to represent the great whales. So I started thinking about maybe painting, you know, one wall, really, the first one, uh, these gray whales, uh, life size. So I learned a lot. In fact, there's a funny story there. I was actually having trouble painting. I was doing like a 50-foot California gray whale, life size gray whale and calf. And I'm working on the mother's, um, you know, flipper. And I was having trouble with the proportions of it. And I seen some little kid, like a 10 year old kid in the back of the parking lot looking at me going, and I'm going, what's that kid? So I walked back there. This kid's got a little sketch pad. He drew the whale tail. Perfect. I grabbed it out of his hands. I went up on the scaffold and painted it. And uh, true story. And you've actually spent a lot of time working with children and kids in art. Tell us a little bit more about that. I always say to my friends like you guys and, and Sylvia, or I say, you know, if you want to protect the environment today, let's all talk to each other. If you want to protect it for the future, you got to get our, our youth. You got to get our kids on board. And that's the thing, you know, the Wyland Foundation and myself, that's what we're most proud of it. You know, I have a kid's job. So for some reason, these kids can relate to me. I mean, this isn't a real job. I mean, seriously, I take some paint, some canvas, throw it up there and hope people like it. So anyway, the kids really relate to me. And I, I knew early on that I had to get that message of conservation through art into the hearts and minds of, of our youth. So from the very first wall, I always set up a smaller area so the kids could paint their own marine life. And, you know, if you want to know what kids are thinking, you know, you look at their art. And by the way, some of these kids are better artists than I am. So I may be out of a job pretty soon because I've painted with over a million kids and people go, no way. No. And over 40 years, I've painted. I count them now. Million one, million two, million three. So that's 
what I think I'm most proud of is that I was able to um, share my art, you know, with the kids, not only throughout the 50 states, but 100, 100 countries around the world. And tell us about the, the origins of the Wailing Wall Project, which was your first global project, and, and, and also the logistics, how, how you found walls and got invitations and, and managed to pay the freight for... Uh, sure. Well, you know, there's a lot of politics uh, when you're painting big public murals, and it's all part of the art. It's how, you know, people come together. It's a complete volunteer project, which I don't think everyone knows. I'm a volunteer. We had thousands, tens of thousands of volunteers in all these communities where I did the 101 murals. So we all just kind of pulled together. I tried to get the paint donated. Uh, I tried to get the hotels donated. Uh, National Band Lines gave me, you know, a 50-foot tractor trailer to be able to do tours. Like uh, at one point I did 17 murals in 17 cities in 17 weeks from Portland, Maine, all the way down the, the East Coast to Key West. So, and one in DC for the Smithsonian. So I, you know, I've always had these big ideas, but it really started with one wall here in Laguna Beach. And I really didn't have any idea that I was gonna paint some more. Uh, I was just trying to get through that one. I was a starving artist. It was everything I could do to even pay for the paint. But finally the city after two years gave me permission and we got the paint, we're all ready to go. And my brother has a pickup truck. So we went down, picked it up at uh, Sherwin-Williams, I think. Anyway, he was hungry for lunch. So we went into some place to eat and uh, he pulled on the PCH, right? And he pulled out too fast and every drop of paint spilled on Pacific Coast Highway. In fact, I call that Wailing Wall Zero, Blue Laguna. <laughs> so here's all these like hundreds and hundreds of gallons of paint just all over the highway, you know, Porsches and Mercedes just driving up, splashing all the other cars. I go, oh my God. But the firemen liked me and they had been reading about this project. So they actually came in, they scooped up with shovels, saved as much paint and the paint company, Sherwin-Williams felt bad. So they gave me a little more paint. Yeah, after I did that first one, I had a writer, uh, Gordon Grant from the LA Times. And he said, hey, Wyland, this looks great for Laguna Beach and Orange County. Um, how many of these are you going to paint? I go, I'm going to paint a hundred. I should have said 10. <laughs> but when, when I say something and David knows, I do it. So I spent 27 years painting the hundred walls. I thought it would take 30. So I did it three years ahead. Uh, the last one was in Beijing. I was announced as the official um, U.S. Olympic artist. Used to be Leroy Neiman. Remember him with that cool mustache? He was the Olympic artist and and I got to know him. He uh, he actually pulled his car over his driver because he wanted to say hello. Uh, I was painting that wall in Waikiki, that 20-story building. And this guy's like yelling at me, hey, hey, that looks great. And I'm looking at him and go, that guy looks like Leroy Neiman. Because, you know, I used to watch him. You know, I'm a big Olympic fan, too. So I used to watch Leroy, you know, uh, in Mexico City in 1968. I was a little kid. I go, I want to be the Olympic artist. Again, putting it out there, right? You are now the Olympic artist. Uh, you were in uh, yep. China. You are in Japan. This this coming Olympics, right? Vancouver. Yeah, I'm wearing I'm wearing the swag. They just gave me the shirt. I don't know if you guys can see it, but oh for the very first time, you guys, uh, they're having uh, surfing as an Olympic event. It should have been a long time ago. I admire these surfers. A lot of people think they're slackers and hippies. Good, you know, they're, they're Who isn't? artists. Uh, 
Yeah, they're they're really artists on ways, but they're warriors. My God, you know, I live North Shore of Oahu, and I sponsored the Triple Crown of Surfing, the Wyland Hawaiian Pro, for five years. Man, they're they're warriors. And uh, so when when I found out that uh, you know surfing was going to be part of it, I go, listen, I got to support that. So I painted uh, two surfboards in Hawaii, one here in Laguna, with the theme "Faster, Higher, Stronger." And Carissa Moore, uh, she's the um, six-time world champion and an Olympian. Uh, John John Florence, who I know well and have followed his career. You know, whenever I can use my art to promote and help a cause, I'm going to do it. So, and especially the, the, the Olympians, the U.S. Olympic team, they don't get any federal funding. Can you imagine? They're out there representing our country, you know, to the whole world. And, you know, they have to raise their own funds. And, you know, they do a pretty good job, but you know, the artists, Leroy Neiman, myself, we try to, you know, use our art to support our athletes, to support our Olympians. And anyway, I was all set to go, but COVID, I don't think it's going to allow even family members or the official artists to, uh, to go to Tokyo for the, uh, for the Olympics. I think it's going to be in a bubble, but I'm glad they're still having it. And I'm really proud of uh, our U.S. Olympic team and, and those surfers that are going to bring back the gold. And, and how did the Olympic Committee find you uh, to be, and, and what is the process? How does one become the artist to the U.S. Olympic uh, team? That's, that's a really good question. I was surprised myself. It was announced a couple of years before I did my final project in uh, Beijing. I just kind of timed it that way. But I think Leroy Neiman, for me, and Peter Uberoff lives here in Laguna Beach. Uh, I think they, they put a really good word in for me. So I was announced at the New York Art Expo at Jacob Javits as the official artist for the U.S. Olympic team. And it, it was really something. So I said, well, I got to do something with that. So I started doing the math. I go, I think I can do my last project in Beijing for the Green Olympics, for the Cultural Olympics. So we timed it. And uh, so the 100th and final wall, uh, I really wanted to, to be kind of on uh, the level of, of an Olympic. You know, uh, the idea was to invite all the children from all the Olympic countries, 212 at that time, to come and paint, you know, water habitats, freshwater and saltwater habitats and animals from their country, from their region. And when it all came together, all these canvases, my vision was to do a mile long canvas. And it's about 20 foot high. So I would go in every day and I would prep these canvases. I do like eight or 12 or 15 canvases, like paint the backgrounds. And then these kids would march in hundreds or thousands of them. And when it was done, it was beautiful. We installed this at the uh, at uh, Chayong Park, which is their central park in Beijing. God, it was amazing. And all the kids held hands. And the idea was that uh, it was called Hands Across the Oceans, the idea that water connects all the people in all the countries of the world. Anyway, it was very, very powerful. And we brought it to Washington, D.C., uh, right there and uh, installed it there with the help of the White House and, you know, all those um, great people that support, you know, my whaling wall project. Anyway, it was a beautiful way to end it, but really didn't end because two years ago I was in Seattle and they had painted over one of my uh, murals there on the uh, Edgewater Hotel. I was staying there because I was going to get on my ship that I painted. I paint anything. If it's moving, not moving, underwater, I don't care. So I went into the hotel and the guy that used to be the doorman that I knew, Bob, is now the general manager. And he says, hey, your ship's right outside at this port of Seattle. What do you think about redoing your wall? I go, I would love to redo it. And he goes, 
it's yours. So I went back the following year. I called Eddie Vedder. You like Pearl Jam? Eddie Vedder? Oh, so I he love has a, Eddie Vedder. I love him. He's got the biggest heart you've ever seen. And he's big environmentalist, conservationist. And, uh, you know, I, I've known him for a while. But I said, hey, I'm going to paint this mural in three days. Do you want to come and paint? He goes, yeah, I used to do a little, you know, street art tagging and stuff. So he shows up the first day. I get him out on the scaffolding. And uh, we painted the J-Pod you know, the, the, the scientists study before it was just generic orcas. Yeah. I mean, it looked yeah. beautiful. It was my fourth of right. the hundred, but this time this a hundred pod of, of orcas. Orcas. And, and believe it or not, this is typical artists going, breaking all the rules. So we're supposed to do the J pod. That was my vision. We did, but I also wanted to do the V pod. You ever hear of the V, v pod, the vetters. So <laughs> we first painted a, yeah, we painted a, like a 32 foot life-size orca. And Eddie Vetter and myself, and I said, look, your wife and, and two daughters are here. Let's add them to the mural. So we painted the entire uh, Vetter pod, the V pod, we call it. But, you know, I had so much fun. And, and he came every day, he came for the dedication. And at the dedication, he said, you know, Wyland, painting with you is like getting on stage with like the Rolling Stones, man. He said that, that collaboration was like, you know, one of the best things I've ever done. And it's really great when people can work together for, for something, you know, that's, that's bigger than us, you know, and the, the cause to have clean water and healthy oceans. It's the cause of our day, isn't it? Absolutely. And I want to, I want to thank you because the last time I saw you, we were in Washington DC at the Blue Vision Summit. And so I yep. love how you're taking your artwork, you're working with kids, you're working with the Olympics, but you're also bringing your voice to Washington, D.C. to really help shape policy. And so I think that's really remarkable that you can have someone as, as magical and as skilled as you to really be an advocate and, and stand up with your voices as well as with your art. Well, I'm proud to, to do it and nobody does it better than you guys. So uh, I've been with you guys a long time, many years. And I think if we just keep bringing it, eventually it'll catch. If not, the kids will come up. We'll have a whole generation of people that appreciate, you know, the work that all these good groups do. And now a word from our sponsor. That's the sound of a coastal wetland. Wetlands and salt marshes provide vital habitat and nurseries for fish, birds, and other wildlife. They act as filters and sponges to clean and store groundwater and protect us from storm surge and wind damage. Unfortunately, unwise development and sea level rise have put coastal wetlands at risk. That's why the Sierra Club Marine Team supports proposals like the Ocean-Based Climate Solutions Act, that would invest in restoring natural coastal systems in order to protect our communities while providing needed jobs. The Sierra Club Marine Team, because 71% of our environment is salty. One place you can find our sponsor is on Facebook. Just look for Sierra Club Marine Team. When I was a kid, I thought that I was, you know, a generation too soon to visit alien worlds. And the first time I put on a right. circle and went off a seawall, there's like living rocks and and shoaling fish and hammerhead turtles and hammerhead sharks and turtles. So you dive, you see this other world and you express it in your art. I think what's interesting is you're versatile in terms of you do art, you do advocacy, you do ocean, um, but also you're stylistically, you're very versatile. And I wonder 
as I, as I said, you remind me of Winslow Homer in terms of your place in art history um, without the Civil War PTSD. But who are the artists that you identify when you when you look for inspiration? Well, well, hey, first I'd say when we're diving, I'm painting in my mind's eye what's going to reflect up on the sides of those walls in my sculptures, in the paintings I do here at my studios. Uh, hey, Leroy Neiman was a big inspiration. Um, I really like Robert Bateman in Canada, you know, on Salt Spring Island. Robert Bateman uh, was an artist that I always looked up to. I think he's the greatest wildlife artist. And we kind of have a deal like he does above the water and I do below. And I remember when I painted a wall in Victoria, you know, he flew in to dedicate it and we're walking up and I had painted a bald eagle because a Native American guy was there every day. And he said, could you paint a bald eagle up there? And I said, I'd be happy to, do you have a picture? He pulled it out of his pocket. And I said, would you like to come on the scaffolding? So we went up together and we rode up there and like in, I think gestation period was five minutes or something. And, and the guy was literally tearing up. So I did a life-size bald eagle, but I was really proud of that mural. It needs a facelift now, it needs, needs a little Botox, about 25 years old, but Robert Bateman walked in with me and uh, it was a huge crowd. He said, hey, what's that? And I go, what? And he goes, you painted a bald eagle? And I said, yeah. He goes, I thought we had an agreement. You were supposed to do below the water and I do above the water. So even Robert Bateman, but he was really, uh, one of my inspirations, he wrote the forward to my first book, which sold 1.4 million copies. You being an author know that's a good number for a coffee table book. And the name of that book? The Art of Wyland. A simple one, introduction by Robert Bateman, the legend. You have galleries all around the nation, the world. What happened yep. both to you and your galleries and uh, your travels during the last We year? sold more art and we sold a lot more art. It was crazy. During People COVID. are home and they're looking at their wall space. They're going, we should get that Wyland painting we've been looking at. So no, we, we did better, which is really crazy. But that's, you know, I didn't even know what a brand was when I started making this art. But apparently, yeah, I've created a really nice little brand and uh, I'm doing street art now. You know, I was in, I've always been inspired by street artists, but Banksy, OG Slick, um, they had this uh, show in L.A., this uh, sh uh, museum show for graffiti called Beyond the Streets. And I was invited because a lot of these guys said, look, you inspired me to be a street artist. And I went, wow. So I went with OG Slick and uh, he's one of the top guys now. He's from Hawaii, lives in Compton now, but we've been painting together. And anyway, he said when he was a kid growing up, he wanted to tag one of my walls at one in Waikiki. So he got out there at like three in the morning with a ladder. He got up there. And it was right next to the whale's eye. And he said, I, I couldn't do it. He said, that thing was looking at me. He goes, I could not, I could not tag your work. So it was pretty funny, but we became great friends. Uh, my goal now is to do a hundred environmental murals. And these might be a little more hardcore because mine is all about if people see the beauty in nature, they'll work to preserve it before it's too late. But I think I may have to get a little edgier. We just did one with a humpback whale breaching out of an oil drum all these oil slicks and uh so i'm getting a little harder with this one and i'm going to try to collaborate with um all the great uh graffiti artists i can in places all over the world some will have permission and some uh hey maybe not we're just going to go hit some giant walls and and i think that'll reach a, a younger generation if we can do this kind of street art so in a way you're you're moving from the wonder to the warning 
letting people know. I think I think I have to. I thought it would be enough, David. Great point as usual, but I thought it would be enough just to show the beauty. But we may have to show some of the problems, and uh, I'm happy to do that. You were about making edgy art, and I love that. Right. And I'm thinking. Thank you. Well, I'm wondering, like, what are some of the big issues that you want to portray with your art as you go? Absolutely. Well, the poisoning of the the ocean, the lakes, the rivers, the streams and ponds and wetlands. Unfortunately, there's so much material, all that crap. So the oil wells, the spills, all the all the stuff that you guys work to prevent. I'm going to paint that and I'm going to put it out in a way that you can't ignore it. You know, you can ignore not to go into a museum or a gallery, but you can't ignore, you know, a 30 story mural. And I'm the guy that can bring that like nobody. I would just say, listen, you guys keep doing what you're doing. I'll always bring the art piece to it. And uh, together, we'll inspire these little world changers, you know, because there's a lot of them and uh, we need more. I truly believe though, I'm very inspired that we can come together, you know, as a culture at this moment and say, look, you know, we had this awful virus, the ocean's next. We got to get in front of this. Got to, instead of chasing our tail all the time, we need to invest. And that's what you guys have always been about, investing, you know, uh, time, energy, money, everything you have to get that message out there. And that's why I'm so proud to do this with you today. So I'd like to thank you so much for being part of the Rising Tide podcast and for all of your inspiring work, both in your advocacy and in your art. And I look forward to your next chapter where you're gonna be a little bit more edgy and start sending out that environmental messaging that we've got to do something fast for this planet and for the ocean. Well, art's gonna play an important role and uh, I'm gonna be there. So anyway, cheers to you guys. Boom, lots of fun. Boom. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye guys, bye Dave. Rising Tide is a production of Blue Frontier with hosts David Helvarg and Vicki Nichols Goldstein and with the support of Natasha Benjamin and Ellie Curlow. Rising Tide's editing services and additional technical support are provided by Studio Cape May of San Diego, California. The theme song is written and performed by Ethan Kenvarg. You can find Rising Tide, the ocean podcast, at www.bluefront.org or download it anytime from Apple, Google, or Spotify. Off in the salty ocean, off where the waves roll free The sparkling water rises, then crashes to the sea Out amongst the breakers, you'll have no need to fear It's true, it's the blue frontier Tear, tear, tear Off in the salty ocean, off to the blue frontier Sparky, come here, buddy. Sparky, there you are. Good boy, Sparky.